Murphy. And I'm Georgie. Coming to you with chats about all aspects of design, creativity and its influence on life. Can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop. This This is Creative Clinks. This episode has been sponsored by Accelerate Digital Systems. Looking for a way to automate your Google reviews and ensure they're five stars? What if I could tell you that you could have that and more? Hang around for the ad break and you'll find out how. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Clinks. In this episode, we're in for a bit of a treat that, of course, going to the amazing Digital Marketers Australia conference, I had the privilege of meeting some pretty incredible people there. And look, it is a bit of a bonus that Daniel from Blackline Digital, shout out, uh, was able to also help with this cool connection. So today we have Will Wang from Growth Labs. How are you going? Good. Good to be on, guys. Should be a fun session, I think. <laughs> guaranteed, guaranteed. Awesome. So, Will, for those who don't know you, give a little bit of a spiel. Here's your elevator pitch about yourself. Oh, all right. Um, don't put me on the spot at all. That's okay. Um, so, I run Growth Labs, which is this. Um, we started off as like a freelancing kind of gig uh, with copywriting and writing stuff for clients. And over the years, like we've been around for about seven years now, we've kind of morphed into this just bigger agency that does lead generation. Um, we work with some pretty big clients and, you know, really helping them to to grow the businesses. Um, kind of that's like the, the professional two, two minutes bill. Um, and then I just get around and do a lot of the speaking stuff, which is how we kind of met for, you know, DMA, um, both uh, the, the Aussie event and also like the US events and stuff as well, international events. Um, so that's kind of like the two sides of two sides of the coin. Nice, nice. So what would you say, because considering, well, I see the marketing industry as quite a creative industry and you mentioned copywriting there as well. So wh- what would you define as your particular creative outlet? Um, I think like for me, copywriting in, a, in and of itself is actually pretty creative. Like if you think about it, I specialize in what I call, what I call, like I own the thing, but like what people call direct response um, copywriting or advertising, which is essentially when I write stuff um, my clients expect people to buy from it so there's a element of creativity in terms of like how do we tap into human psychology how do we write in a way that people want to read but also that they want to buy um, so I'm not creative enough to do like graphics and stuff like that like I can't design to save my life but um, you know writing is kind of one of those ways that I get to express um, some form of creativity I guess Awesome. And have you always been a creative kid in that aspect when you're growing up probably not probably not I'd, I'd think um like, you know how when, when you're growing up and people are like, oh, this person can draw or paint or like they're really musical and stuff like that. I was hopeless at all of that kind of stuff. Like, I was literally the kid in the corner that they used to give the triangle in, in school and like you start talking to every other instrument, go play the triangle. And even then I just be like, oh, um, um, so, like def- definitely not. Um, I was always like a massive geek though. So I used to like read a whole bunch of fantasy books and sci-fi and all that kind of stuff. And so like words have always been my, my kind of gig. Um, it wasn't until later on when I realized like, oh, like writing actually is creative. Um, but yeah, growing up, I never thought I was. Yeah. So before copywriting, what did you do? Well, I did probably the least creative thing possible. And I stared at a spreadsheet for like 10 hours a day in corporate IT. Yeah. I was, my official title was business intelligence analyst. Wow. Um, but literally I was just like a spreadsheet jockey. Wow. Um, Spreadsheet jockey. (laughs) It was the worst. BIA. 
Did you call yourself a B-I-A? B-I-A. Yeah. Oh, wow, well, you yeah, did. Yeah, cool. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. So can I ask, so then what made that jump between doing spreadsheets all day into something like what you're doing today? Yeah, I, I literally hated my corporate job. Like it was just the worst thing ever. Um, it was just like everything about it. Hey, I just felt like on Monday morning, like when you get on the bus, when I was catching the bus to work and I'd be like miserable, I'd be like, fuck this, fuck my life. And then you get into the bus and you look at everyone else and everyone's miserable and grumpy. It's just like, what kind of life is this? Um, and like yeah. I, I was in corporate for like 10 years by that point. Like I didn't take any time off after high school, went straight into uni and part-time work and all that kind of stuff. So it just felt like, um, you know, heading towards professional burnout. And then I was looking yeah. at uh, like these mentors of mine at the company who, you know, f- 30 years ahead of where I was in terms of career. And they were all like fat, overweight, lost all their hair, unhappy. And it's just like, yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather not. Like if this is the path I'm going down, I'll check myself out of the building right now. Like I just literally, not that bad. Like I shouldn't make a joke out of it. I was literally like, <laughs> I'll jump out the fucking window. Like it's, what's the point of doing this for 30 years? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like a built up kind of thing. Um, and then I had kids. Um, and so a whole bunch of stuff happened. Like we had the second child and I was traveling to and f- to like for work a lot. In my last corporate role, I was, I live in Sydney. And so the role, the head office was based in Melbourne. So literally every Monday to Friday, I'd be in Melbourne um, and come home. And it's just like, by the time you get home, you're exhausted because you're taking like the last flight out of Melbourne and all this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, long story short, um, a whole bunch of stuff happened where I couldn't take an extra two days of leave, even though I was like not paid. Um, cause of all this drama that happened with, you know, taking leave over Christmas, like do you want the story or do, should I just. No, tell the story. Go? Dive into it. We want the tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, uh, no, but like a long story short, I joined the last company in November, um, like late November. And as all good Australian companies do, they pretty much shut off over like Chrissy in January and everybody just clocks off. And so, cause I always knew they were like, Hey, do us a massive favor, take a bunch of leave without pay. Um, cause we just want to close the office over Christmas. I was like, yeah, cool, cool, no worries. But next year, you know, when I want to travel and my kids are a little bit older, um, this was like just when my son was born. I was like, I just want to take maybe, you know, just an extra week without pay. You don't have to pay me. I just want to take some extra time. Like, yep, cool, no probs. So fast forward to like July, we wanted to go to New Zealand together and I didn't have enough leave because I they forced me to take the leave. So I was like, look, I'm going to call my favor in, give me a couple of extra days. And it was like a Japanese consulting company. And so the leave went all the way up to Japan. They're like, this guy's taking like heaps of leave. Oh my God. Yeah, because you motherfuckers made me. And I'm like, no, like no one would approve it. And so he went on to like like almost a CEO and was like, no, this guy's taking too much leave. Um, and so that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like that was like, no, I don't have control of my life. I don't have control of my destiny. My time, I'm literally someone else's bitch. Like I've got to come in and it's like modern day slavery. And I was like, fuck this, this is like too mm. much. And so that kind of got me on the process of like, how do I get out of here? I just can't do this. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so long story short, that's, that's yeah. the journey to leaving. <laughs> Start and finished. Yeah, wow. I love that. Yes. You know what? Because I feel like so many people end up starting their own business because of reasons exactly like what you just said. Like you realize like this is a freaking joke, how I'm being treated, working for someone else. I don't have the flexibility I want. You're over like you're trying, you're under delivering and over promising. And I reckon probably the best people in business are born out of experiences like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like just so many people are so talented and so creative and, mm. you know, like going into a box for like eight to 10 hours a day just doesn't really drive a lot of people. Yeah. No, definitely not. 
And it's um it's really interesting now that you brought that up is that like the, I feel like that's such a common consensus and and treatment of people and staff environments and I feel like only just now it's like I'm starting to come across a few people who are making the switch like even I'm not tooting Black Lion <laughs> for the sake of a toot but I will bring it up because it's irrelevant but it's it's exactly that for me it's like I haven't worked in a place that's actually put the people first before the work yeah. like I've may have worked for some types of telecommunication companies that will not be named, um, that it, it was similar similar concept. It's like, oh, God forbid I take leave. I'm a part-time, if not casual worker. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I owe you nothing and you pay me crap to do this. Like, not for it. But, like, I guess with that adventure and taking that leap, how did you navigate starting up your own business? Man, it was tough. It was really, really tough for the first couple of years. Um, so like the challenge I had, and I think like people have got different advantages, right. And, and different challenges and challenge I had was that I had this massive corporate South salary. Like I was on, you know, a good 130, 140 a year. So like I was trying a whole bunch of stuff. Like I was trying, you know, to get, um, to do affiliate stuff. I was trying to sell e-commerce stuff, but like when you're selling like a $20 widget, you need to sell a shit ton of that to replace the 20, you know, 120K a year, 130K a year income. Um, so it's, it just ended up being like, how can I replace my, my salary as quickly as possible? And it just so happened Ooh. that, um, you know, like my, my father-in-law had a, had a, well, he has a, a stone masonry company, like with them built the kitchen bench tops. So I did some work with them, him on like copywriting and websites and stuff like that. And it was just like, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've got this mate who'll pay you three grand for a website. And for me at the time, it was like, holy, like three grand. Are you kidding me? And so that was kind of like the first jump. And it's like, okay, I think I can sell two or three of three websites a month because my, like after tax, I was only getting, you know, six or seven K a month or something like that. So I was like, can I sell two or three websites a month to do it? I don't know if I can, but I can try. Um, and so that kind of led me down the path of look, what, what if I just did mediocre design, but wrote really good copy and help people convert on the websites. Uh, but even then that was like yeah. a journey. Like we struggled, um, really, really badly for two years. Uh, pretty much put all the life savings and then took money out of the mortgage to put into the business and just like went backwards. And it was actually at the point where like I, I had to fire, fire my resume back up and start looking for jobs again um, when we kind of hit one thing that kind of turned everything around and helped us grow from there. But yeah, it was like a really, really tough initial two years. Yeah, wow. Mm. Yeah, wow. And how did you keep yourself going like amongst that literally looking down the barrel of shit, I actually need to search for other employment. How did you, I guess, yet yeah, cope with that and keep pushing? Um, I mean, I saw, I saw improvements. Every, like, so my, so for context, like I still, when I started, I, I was so bad on, on, on the phone. Like my, my message used to be like, Hey, just don't talk to me on the phone. Just message me. Cause if there's anyone around me. I couldn't take a phone. I literally would like break out into cold sweats, just taking phone calls. Wow. I couldn't do phone sales. Like I was so bad at that kind of stuff. Um, but because I was so bad, like every single month, because I was forced to do that kind of stuff, I could see myself improving. Like, oh, I didn't shit my pants taking a phone call this month. I think I'm growing a little bit. Like this month, oh, I actually sent some cold emails and it wasn't like I got some traction from it. I got a new client. Like, so it wasn't that, you know, it was all like it was terrible. Don't get me wrong, but I could see the incremental improvements. Yeah. Uh, but it's also good to have, you know, other people in your corner who can support you because the month where I was like, hey, I, I think we're done. I think I've set us back financially 10 years. Like I was talking to my wife, it's just like, 
look, I think you've actually transformed entirely. Like you've grown this different person. So yes, send your resumes out because we have to pay the bills. Like mm-hmm. we've got to pay the mortgage. But also don't just give up and shut everything down completely. Like just balance both if you can. And so from that point on, like I remember um, from that point, I got into up on stage and spoke at that event. Um, this was literally like the week after we had the conversation. And then from that event, I landed two clients. And I, because I was in desperate, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to charge them what I think I'm worth and actually make some money and not have to go back to work. Or I'm just not going to get it. I'm going to go back to work, work anyway. And so from that one speaking mm-hmm. thing, I landed two clients at my highest rate ever and just paid all the bills, like helped me pay them to pay the bills, right? And so from that point on, we started building on top of that and all of you know, that kind of uh, normal stuff that happens when you grow. But yeah, that's kind of the, the process. Like it was, it was tough. Wow. So how do you go from someone who, who got cold sweats from, you know, taking a phone call or that kind of thing to getting up on stage and speaking in front of large amounts of people, I'm assuming? Yeah. Like one bit at a time. So for some reason, even though I really struggled with the phone calls, like the speaking stuff I was okay with, like I wasn't, I wasn't great. Like, don't get me wrong. I wasn't a great speaker or anything, but I wasn't as nervous like in person as I was on the phone, which is kind of really weird. Like I was okay talking face to face, but on the phone, it's something about the phone just really threw me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the yeah. stage stuff, like it's just kind of like the big stand-up comedians where they build up to to hit the specials. I just started really, really small. I spoke, my first speaking gig was like in front of five people at the, at the local RSL club with like the plastic chairs that you pull up. Yeah. And so that was like the very first, and I was in a suit and everything, and I like, had like massive sweat patches for a suit. So it was still like nerve wracking, right? Um, yeah. But then like you do it enough times, you get enough reps and you get enough results in other stuff that you're doing where on stage you're talking about what you do. So it's not as, as freaky because like, like things can happen, but I, but I know my stuff because I'm doing it day in, day out. So even if all my slides go down, I can still talk to it. Mm. So those kind of things help. Like just practice and just doing sessions after session, just getting the reps in and then talking about something that you know well, um, that kind of help. Awesome. Yeah, wow. Yeah, cool. And like after you got that, I guess that point of, of- – starting to the bounce back, I guess. How did you, I guess, adapt your strategy in order to avoid becoming a template when it comes to specializing in certain market areas? I think one of the advantages and disadvantages, like one of the things that I I think it helped but also hindered a lot was that we were really broad. Like we didn't have a specific type of client that we worked with, which meant that we could kind of go and learn about a lot of different things across a lot of different markets. And um, collectively, because you know it's what I'm doing day in, day out, like the learning process just accelerates. Um, so you imagine like with an agency, if I'm serving seven to 10 clients, I'm learning about seven to 10 businesses at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're working for just like one business, you just get with that one, one learning until you move on to your yeah. next business and stuff like that. So I just felt like even though I wouldn't build it again the same way with my current knowledge, the way that I did build it where I I had to go wide, it actually really helped to to learn a lot. And how do you maintain confidence, I guess, treading into those new areas with those new businesses? That's a good question. I think now because I've got the track record across so many different industries, it's just, I can just refer back to like, I've done something similar. I know, you know, what we've done in the other industry. I think you're similar to this industry. Um, thinking back to when we first started going into 
each of the industries. It was really just a lot of extra research. I just, well, um, for example, if we had one client that came through and they did medical stuff, rather than just going, yeah, we can throw up a Facebook campaign for you, I'd go and walk into five medical um, you know, businesses in my local area and go, I just really want to buy a coffee. Can I just pick, you know, like pick your brains? I, I, I don't like when people tell me when I can't pick your brains, but can I just get your feedback and advice on some stuff here? Um, can I just, you know, I'm trying to do something for a client. Can I just please get your take on it? And people are actually really friendly. Like people, Instinct, like the whole um, story about if your car breaks on the highway and you just wait for someone to push it for you, no one stops. But if you start pushing it yourself, yeah. people will stop and get out and, and help you. So my whole thing was like, can I show people that I'm trying myself and I'm putting effort in and I just need a little bit of help to to push it along? And I think when you do that, people are very receptive and, and super friendly and, you know, very giving. I love that. That's awesome. And I think it, you've just like broken glass there for yeah. me because I'm like, oh, yeah, that is actually very true. And now I feel like a really bad, not a bad human being, but I did see a hitchhiker that they were just walking with their thumb out. And now I feel really bad about that. No, I never think of hitchhikers. <laughs> no. That's that's stupid. <laughs> Everything applies, but not to hitchhikers, Georgie. <laughs> Can Wolf Creek yeah. have, yeah, have you not watched any horror movies in Australia? Like, <laughs> uh, I think Harry Potter's scary. I do not watch horror movies at all. Well, I want to ask you about, um, so you were just talking about research, right? And it's really interesting because actually, Georgie, I don't think this is something that we talk about that much, but it's really kind of, so research is something like when I'm doing a proposal to one of my clients, I don't know if you know, but I'm I'm an interior designer. And so I I always have like research as part of my, I guess, part of the scope of what I do when I'm um, trying to pitch to a client. And I feel like research almost feels a bit wanky, like when I'm adding that to, do you know what I mean? Like it's so vague, like research. Yeah, what does even research mean to people? Mm. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I feel like, I'm not going to say pick your brain, but (laughs) I I just kind of feel like what do you think is uh, valuable research and what's just, you know, anyone can Google anything online now, so that's not really valuable research. So you mentioned going into actual places places is that something that you think is obviously one of the most valuable types of research you can do um so i'll give you my context of it because it is different from client to client yeah so for example if we walk into a a tech company right now i don't really need to do that much research because we've you know been on the on the inside of enough of them where i can just be like hey here's what we did before that worked um but going back to like you know how you approach research i think it might be a mindset thing because like the way i think about research, right? I think research is the seed of creativity in that um, when I write copy, nothing that I write is is original. Nothing that I write actually comes from me. It really comes from talking to my clients and, and their clients. So take, for example, like when I think about, um, you know, what am I going to write in terms of this cold email to, to get someone's attention? I look for what I call like a one-legged golfer moment. Um, so it's this whole copywriting book that I read from a dad, guy called Dan Con, very famous copywriter. He wrote this amazing copy about like a, selling a golf course where he talks about a one-legged golfer. Um, and the whole story is like he was he had, had a client who wanted to sell golf courses, and he was telling him about like how he helps his clients perfect their golf swing. And like, I don't play golf, so I'm going to butcher the shit yeah. out of this. But like he's like perfecting their golf swing, and this one-legged golfer was just like standing with perfect balance and stuff like that, and he's like hang on, what? Like a one-legged golfer. But because a golf instructor had, you know, done this so many times, it was just kind of normal to him. But for the person, like the copywriter writing the copy, it was like, wait, like what? Mm-hmm. what? What is this thing? So that to me is actually research. It's like, um, it's just talking to people to, to really go deep and find out like, what are these that 
you as a professional doing this day in, day out can see, but your clients can't see, even if you think it's super mm, basic. Yeah. Hey, listeners, your host Georgie here. Just letting you know that we're going to have a brief intermission here to bring you something awesome. Let's talk about getting noticed. We all want those shiny five-star Google reviews, right? They're like gold dust in our digital world. But how do you get them without breaking a sweat? Here's a secret weapon, the Accelerate Review Suite. Imagine a world where customers are leaving raving reviews automatically. No magic spells needed, just Accelerate. It's a platform that drives those golden stars straight into your Google reviews while you focus on what you do best, running your business. And because you're our special listeners, we've got a deal that's sweeter than your grandma's apple pie. For just $159 a month, exclusive to our clinkers, you can get your hands on this review-generating wizardry. Plus, for our listeners, get a comprehensive Google business profile audit when you sign up, giving you all the tools that you need to get in the top local three-pack. So, what are you waiting for? Boost your visibility, attract more customers, and let your business shine. Just head over to acceleratedigitalsystems.com forward slash review dash generator dash suite and mention Creative Clicks. It's that simple. Accelerate Review Suite. Reviews on autopilot, success on overdrive. Link in this episode's description. Now, back to our show. I think um, I think maybe, yeah, what I'm trying to also understand is that um, I guess clients kind of like they feel a bit intimidated by us trying to get as much information about them um, or their business as possible and that it, it can be a little bit hard to extract that information um. without, yeah. So, you know, obviously not wanting to try to sound salesy or pitchy or anything, but at the same time, you know, yeah, I 100% believe that anyone that's in a creative industry, whether it's, you know, it's copywriting or, or graphics or interior design or whatever it is, it's we need to be able to get that information from a client to be able to give them like a true experience of what we feel that um, we can do for them. And it's really hard to get that information from people because it's intimidating and it's kind of, it's allowing, well, your customer has to allow themselves to be vulnerable with you. I think it's your own mindset, Bobby. I, I oh, think wow. like <gasps> Okay. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because people are intrinsically selfish. Um, not like it's, it's not a bad thing. Like people, people love talking about themselves. Yeah. Um, if you have a, like I look at, because I was so bad at sales, I used to analyze all my sales calls. I used to record it and play it back myself. And if you have wow. a look at, um, like for me anyway, this is my contextual in my experience, when I was in the sales calls, the ones that have been just like the best sales calls where I've just nailed it one call close. I speak for such a little like a portion of the time and my clients are speaking so much to me. And so it's like, all I'm doing is asking them leading questions and just letting them speak. And um, I'm like, if you change your mindset around, like this is, this is great for them because when you ask them better questions, they get better understanding of themselves and what they're trying to get out of it. So, mm. so if you don't ask the questions mm. and you just go in and just do outside research, you're potentially not seeing what they actually want. And people just love mm. talking about themselves. So like, don't, like don't get in their own way or talking about themselves where it's going to help them and help you. Um, yeah. So that was a big mindset shift for me as well, because like when I grew up, right, like we grew up really poor. We were like Western Sydney, the worst suburbs around council housing and stuff like that. We never spoke about money growing up, like never, never, ever. Um, and so when I started to get into the agency space and I had to ask clients, what's your ad budget? Because if I'm running ads for you, I can't just set an unlimited budget. I need to know what's the ad budget. Like that was a really uncomfortable question. And mm. so it's like, oh my God, they're going to tell me what, the, like how much you're going to spend. 
And then you start getting comfortable with that first level of questioning. So for you, that might be like, tell me about your aspirations into like, what designs do you like to look at, right? Because it's a very safe question. Mm. But then you, you just go one level up or down, whichever way you think, it, or one level deeper. Go, okay, cool. So based on, you know, what you're seeing here, what is the next level? What is the next level of discomfort for you? So for me, it was like, what is your ad budget? I was really uncomfortable. I asked it enough times. I'm like, oh, that's just a natural question to ask. So ne- next one, let me ask, what's your entire marketing budget? So that's not in- just ad spend. It's like, how much are you going to pay your agency? And then I got mm-hmm. comfortable asking that. And then I went to, hey, what is your, what, what's your business turning over? Like, just, 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 just give me a range. And that was really uncomfortable because like, oh my God, it's going to tell me like the entire revenue range. Mm-hmm. And then after that, mm-hmm. I was just like, hey, not even a range. How much do you make exactly a month? And then you just get like, you just build up your own comfort level. And people actually like telling you that kind of stuff, especially if they're thinking about choosing you as a supplier, they want you to know as much about them as possible because how else are you going to get them the results that they want if you don't let them tell you? Yeah. Yeah, cool. I think UVs even instantly just changed the way I'm approaching my calls Um, because I definitely, well, I didn't definitely know. I I don't know. Like I I did sales, but it's like once I get to that point of like kind of scripty, so easy like I know when I first started sales in XYZ X job it was so awkward oh I'm telling you this is going to be like $150 a month oh. <laughs> like you know for two years oh yay um, and you're going to hate this company anyway the entire way through um, so that was really difficult and for me I only kind of could get past that when I kind of figured out top-down selling and that made it easier because I think you hit the nail on the head for me there. It's like, I'm so uncomfortable talking about money. And and yeah, and so it was like, finally got that style. But then because it was very rinse and repeat what I was selling, it wasn't bloody reinventing the wheel. I could just do the same thing and smashing it every single time. Um, but then when it comes to, and I think also probably the other thing is, is like trying to, I guess, gather that bit more confidence in myself and being that is like charging what my worth is. I probably actually only recently hit through some glass and, and went, you know what, I've actually, I'm going to be restructuring everything because I'm worth more than that. And that's a very rare thing for me to say. So yay me. But I'll be considering way more the mindset and the intention going into calls because it's definitely letting and allowing those nerves and that those uncomfortable questions and sentences get in the way of actually, you know, finding gold, which yeah, definitely want to become more consistent with. So that was some, that was some juicy stuff right there. So Thank you. You do have a couple of good thoughts every now and again, but you know, glad we captured it. <laughs> <laughs> we captured <laughs> one. You captured one. Yeah. yeah I'm, just, I'm not a complete idiot. Every now and again, I spout some level of wisdom. So <laughs> no, um, one, one other thing that could help you as well. And this is something that I still do to this day. Because sales is very much a mind game. Like it's very much a confidence game. And so when I'm, before every single sales call, I'll like, I don't have to do it as much, but um, what I used to do is I used to write down the successes I've had that are very similar to a certain client. So for example, if I'm talking to a tech client, I'll write down three clients I've had in the past that look very similar to them and how much we won with that. So it's like, oh yeah, like, like you know, of course I can do this. I've got the physical proof in front of me that we can smash mm. it for you. So that's, you know, if that helps. And like nowadays I might not do it for every single call, but you know, if there's ever a call, I'm just like, oh, this is a really big client or this could be a really big you know, good deal for us, then I'll still go for the process of doing it. Cause it just kind of, you know, psychs itself up. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. I love that. And then, so, so with it, I guess being able to take a bit of a deep dive into the behind the scenes of you approaching a sales call, what, what would you have, have you been able to identify is what's your core differentiation between you and your competitors that have also helped in those calls? So this is a phrase that I, I, 
came across years and like a few years ago. Um, do you guys know Conor McGregor of, of UFC? Oh fame? yeah, okay, yeah, right. Um, this, this, yeah, like this, yeah, like um, from Ireland, like the cockiest fighter ever, like the best shit talker I've I've ever heard. I was a massive fan of his, right? And um, uh, and one of the things that he said very early on in his fight career was just like that that winners focus on winning and losers focus on winners. And so when I'm on a sales call and someone asked me like, hey, how are you different from competitors? I'm just like, well, hang on. Like, why are we talking about us or our competitors? Like, this is about you. Like, do you have a problem that we can potentially solve? Why don't we focus on your problem? Because I don't, like, I don't actually really research my competitors. I, It's, you know, first of all, we're in a very unique space where we don't really have that many competitors. But also at the same time, like, it wouldn't even really, really matter if we did because it's just like who can solve the problems or who can get a better understanding of, of our clients' problems. Mm. Um, and if I can spend more time to understand their problems better, you know, I can, I can come up with a better solution. So even if people were cheaper or, you know, like just whatever, it, it doesn't really matter because it's not actually about you versus your clients. Like the biggest competition you've got is actually um, clients not doing anything, just not taking action. So, mm. like, if you can if you can figure that part out, it doesn't matter what your competitors do because it's just irrelevant. Yeah, cool. Oh, that was humble pie. Tell you what. So, um, I, I want to talk about focus, um, if that's okay. I was starting today. I was looking on your yeah. on your website, and it was I was starting to like watch your video about what you do. It's just you talking and that kind of thing. And there was one thing, one part in there where you're like, I put everything else aside and I just like focus on writing. Um, you know, your old school pen and paper and that kind of thing. I'm sure there are times where you feel like you can't focus and there are other days when you've, you've got like, I've got this. Do you, do you find that something that you actually have to really say to myself, no, just focus? Or do you find that that just comes to you naturally? Um, and it's just part of your everyday job now. Um, it gets easier if you're building into your routine. Yeah. So like at the start, it's very deep. like focus is, is literally a muscle that you've got to build up. Um, and it's also like time bashing how you organize your days and your weeks. So for example, um, on Mondays, I know I've only got two meetings, which is with my, my team um, and then with my uh, our ops director. Like that's my only two meetings. So anytime outside of that, I know I'm going to be working on focus stuff. Um, Tuesdays, I know I'm not going to get any focus work done because I'm back to back with either client calls or like podcasts, like all this kind of stuff. So Tuesdays, complete write off. So I don't even try and focus. Like, there's just no point. If I calls get cancelled, if I get an extra hour or something, I'm jumping in the pool, I'm playing PlayStation, I'm literally just not on my screen. Um, Wednesday, though, is my focus day. So I have zero calls on Wednesdays. And it's a standing rule that doesn't matter how big the client is, how you know good the sales deal is going to be, I, I do not take calls on Wednesday. And Wednesday um, is when I'm typically in my office. So I'm at home at the moment. I spend most of my time at home. But on days where I'm really struggling to focus, I do have an office I go into. And I don't have a laptop at the office. I don't have any tech. I've just got like pen and paper. Um, and so I'll just go in and just write. I'll go in with like, I've got this stuff to do. I'll print out a list of stuff I've got to do and I'll just go and write. And like, I'll get so much work done doing that. Every second Thursday, I do a coaching thing. Um, like, like a very successful friend of mine has a program. We've got like 50 female entrepreneurs and I'm the coach in one of that. But that takes like two hours every second Thursday. So every second Thursday, I know my morning is gone, but my afternoon is okay. Uh, but the Thursday I'm not doing that, it's the same thing, focus work, everything's blocked out. I don't take any phone calls. And then Friday, like I can take calls, but I'm pretty much not working most Fridays. Um, so that's kind of how I make it so that I have to focus. Mm. And you just get like build the environment where you step into like, I'm on, it's game time. I'm here to ride. I'm not here to fuck spiders. Like, let's just go. Like, let's just get work done. 
Is this something you had to kind of force upon yourself, Will, to do it like that because you were easily distracted or something or, yeah, it's what works for you by doing it this way? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, like it, it, it took a lot of trial and error and it, it's just what I do and it might not work for you. Everybody's kind of different. I just felt that um, days when I had to take calls, I just couldn't get into like the writing mind frame because writing for me, like, you know, when you're creative, it takes a while to get into that creative flow. Um, and then if you jump out of it or you task switch, it gets a lot harder to do and you just like, you just need the solid focus. So even if like I write in three hour blocks, so I sit down and I just write for three hours. And like, even if I have a call in between, it really, like I, I need about half an hour to really get into flow. Um, then I just need to get mm. shit on paper for half an hour and it's just rubbish. I know it's rubbish, but I need to get through it because then I'm in flow. Um, so on mm. days where I've got calls, I just I just can't do it. So that's just how I, I work. Um, other people can get into flow a lot easier than me. I know that, you know, for some people, it's just like as soon as they sit down, just they can write, they can do whatever they need to do. Um, for me, I just know after all these years that, you know, I can't have phone calls between flow work and I can't type out stuff. Um, so even though I'm a copywriter, I, I literally have to write stuff on pen and paper. If I'm typing, right. I, I either get distracted or it just doesn't come to me and I just can't do it. So, yeah, it's kind of my process. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And I think with a lot of that, there sounds like there's a lot of boundaries you've had to be able to put in place. And I, for one, suck at it. So how did you go about having confidence to set boundaries and reinforcing your boundaries without having guilt? Um, mm. You just do little by little. Like it's because I think what like if you look at what I do now, right? And you look at where you are, it's like, holy shit, like, how can I tell everyone to just like fucking leave me alone on Wednesday? Like, that's, yeah. that's a big jump. That's a massive jump, right? Um, but you don't have to go, like, it, bear in mind, this has taken me like five years to actually develop to get to this stage where I'm yeah. at now. And I've got team members and I've got an EA who's just like super protective on my calendar. She's like, if anything goes on, on Wednesday, like she'll jump in and be like, who the hell scheduled a call for Will on Wednesday? This is crap. I'm moving it. Like she'll just do it automatically. Um, oh, wow. So it's taken like five years of process of experimenting, of having a team. So don't compare where you are now with like someone else's like five years down the track. Just start small. Just go, hey, I know I'm super focused in the mornings from 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. That's my focus block. I'm, I work the best then. I'm blocking it out, right? Because that's not going to affect anything. Or if, you, if you're still not confident, go earlier, go seven to nine because nine's official working hours. So at least mm. give yourself, you know, the self-respect of going before work hours, it's my time. It's my time to hustle. It's my time to do whatever I need to do. And during work hours, fine. Mm. Like I've, I've got to respect, you know, the job and all that kind of stuff. So I'll hold it there. But if it's my time, I can at least give myself two hours every single morning. Mm. Um, and you start there and you start realizing that, you know, it, it's okay. You can move things around. You can respect your boundaries and you start building up on that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and then I think um, one of the final questions that I'm wanting to ask before we dive into our mandatory three questions, because I bet you have not watched, uh, not watched, listened to a single episode. So you're in for a surprise, which is nice. <laughs> I have listened to half an episode with Danny. So shout out, Danny. <laughs> so one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you was that how do you have confidence in determining your value when like quoting for services? So I'll give you one of the ways that I look at it. So for example, um, most of my clients sell their stuff for a lot of money, right? Like we help our clients land million dollar contracts to corporates, all that kind of stuff. So my whole thing is just like, if I can land my clients as a direct result of what we're doing, like one of my clients, we made him five mil last year or 10 mil last year. 
So I was like, can I take 1% of that as payment? If I can give them a hundred bucks, can I take $1? Mm. Right? So it's, it's like, is that a fair exchange? Pretty much like it is like, it, you know, would you take that deal any day of the week and twice on Sunday? So if that's the same mentality, if I can make them $10 million, $5 million, $10 million, why shouldn't I charge them a hundred grand, 200 grand, 300 grand? Like it, it's all kind of relative. Mm. Does that, does that kind of make sense? So like yeah, if yeah. you're designing websites for someone and they're getting a whole bunch of traffic to the website and they're doing you know a million dollars in the business at the moment, but your website lifts their conversion by um, let's just say you know 10%, that's an extra 100K per year that you're making them directly back to the, you know, directly into the pocket. So if you're making them an extra 100K a year, why shouldn't you charge 10 grand or 20 grand for all of that, because it's incremental. They're making an extra hundred grand this year. Next year, their traffic's probably going to grow because of the. So they're going to make an extra two two hundred grand. Year after, they're going to make an extra three hundred grand. And they just pay the one time fee of like ten grand. Like that's a bargain <laughs> any of the day of the week. So <laughs> that's probably one way that that they can look at it. Otherwise, it's just like you know, if you just look at. Um, and I don't really like to do it this way because I like to always differentiate, but what is everyone else charging and what is the quality of that they're giving people? And can you either beat them on quality or beat them on speed? Um, or, you know, at the same time, charging the same as what everyone else is charging. Whoa. So that gets you started. And then you're like, actually, I'm that much better than everyone else. I should be premium. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I love that you said what you, you said, we don't really do anything that's original. You said something similar to that, didn't you? Like what you're doing is not original, mm. but you've obviously managed to find a way uh, to, to turn that around and still entice people to, you know, want your services or to convince them that basically they need you, which is even though you're saying, you know, what we're offering is not necessarily original. I, th- I just think that's that's super powerful because yeah. nowadays anyway, it's it's really hard to be original, let's be honest. I, unless we're inventing a new product or something, it's pretty hard to be original. So Yeah. And I, I think it's a curse of like, you know, curse of being creative as well because I have to feel like oh, it's got to be something that's never been done before, like super special or else it's not worth anything. Exactly. Um, Literally. Yeah. But, but what it is, it's just pattern recognition. Um, it's just, you know, you've done your design, you've done interior design, you've done graphic design, you've done websites so many times that you can see the patterns that other people can't see. So yeah. like when I look at a client's campaign, I can see all the different patterns and like pieces of the puzzle we have to put together and in what way, in what order, in what shape, and what form to get them a result. But all they have got is like just 10 million pieces of the puzzle and they're just like, I don't know what to do with this. So while we're not creating new pieces of the puzzle, what we are creating is like the way of putting it together, right? In a way that's very unique to us. And that's like the creativity. Yeah, that's actually, that's that's really good. All right, we're going to get through to, uh, we're going to move on to, we have three standing questions that we ask every single guest, Will. And um, so you just need to answer them however you see fit. So... First question, uh, what is a fun fact about yourself that you would like to share with our audience? Shit, I'm really bad at the personal stuff. Like, talk about work <laughs> all day, every day. I'll give you one. Um, outside of work, I the fun fact is I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I think that's cool. That could be yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's a fun yeah. fact. I don't know what's fun about that fact, but like, oh. <laughs> no, that's great. Okay, cool. And can I ask though, is that something that how often do you do that a week? Probably three times a week. 
Yeah, cool. And does that feel like is that like a reset for you? It's um, it's it's a it's a pause in the creative mind. Yeah. Um, it's a pause in like it's a pause in the like the stress and anxiety as well because, like, when you run your own business, when you're creative and you've got to go and get work coming through. Like, I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of anxiety behind it, right? Yeah. Especially, like, for me, um, just to give you context, like, the business I've got now, our expenses are more than what I used to dream about making when I first started the business. So, it's like, when you see that and you see the salaries going out, it's like, yeah. holy shit balls. Yeah. Um, so, like, that time on training is just like a creative reset and it just gives you, like, the mental break so that you can go back to work after and then be more creative. Yeah. That's great. Heck yeah. I love that. Well, so, not that I'm overtaking this show at all, like <laughs> I do every other show. Um, Daniel got me to go and do, uh, I, I I think it was called rolling. I don't yeah, know if that's yeah. a, <laughs> and a lingo. I did very well, by the way, and I've never done it before. And he thought I'd fought before. And I'm like, nah. Like, are you, are you sure they just like didn't went and be nice to you and just, oh yeah yeah you're, like, you're doing great but he did go easy on me but he said like considering you've never done this before nice and i was like just get those tickets on myself <laughs> look at this badass working working in the gym like all righty so our next question is what is one thing that you'd like to implement in the next 12 months that will either grow you professionally or personally oh that's a good question um i'm not gonna go personal like i I don't know i'm like i'm super introverted i'm very personal so i'm gonna stay away a little bit away from those i'll dabble a little bit in personal stuff but i'll go more professional stuff um we're launching a course around the cold email stuff, which would probably be the main thing for us. And so that I'm hoping would really help us to, to 10X the business over the next 12 months um, and break through like the, the the cap that we've got at the moment. Not that it's a bad business, but you know, like it's nice to not have to be, um, not have to be there writing copy. I just can teach other people how to write copy. And it's more just like, we work with these huge businesses where, you know, we'll do an extra 10 million a year for them. And it's like, great, awesome. Uh, but the smaller businesses that we haven't had a chance to work with, the stuff that we do can be absolutely life-changing. Like it can make such a big impact. So that's what we're chasing. We're chasing like more impact, um, but at the same time, more scalability. So that would be mm. probably something that's huge. Um, and we're at the point where like I'm buying businesses, you know, partnering and buying businesses. That'll be fun. Um, so th- those are kind of two professional things. Personal things, I mean, uh, actually one personal thing is I'm not going to travel as much next year. So I was on the road like constantly towards the end of the year this year. And so that's, that's kind good. of personal. Just stay my ass home next year. That's kind of, you know, the main thing. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Cool. Love that. All Love right. That. Last question. What is something that you've always wanted to try but have been a little bit hesitant to do so? Dang, that's really good. Yeah, I, I don't actually know. I feel like I've been lucky enough to be in a spot where I've had both time and money to try most of the things that I wanted to. I, I've done the travel, yeah, done the nice cars, um, you know, done all the thrill-seeking stuff. Um, I think it's more just like stuff that isn't that exciting that I would love to do more of. It's more just like stay home and learn how to play guitar. Um, so that's perfect answer. You know, <laughs> 
Oh, there you go. Done. <laughs> You're overthinking it. That's absolutely perfect. Yeah. 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 But I love yeah. it. This is Dunces. gold. Yeah, right. That's awesome. That's cool. See, another creative outlet, but it's a completely different type of creativity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon, like, if anything, you'd be a little bit fearful of the stop and the slowness mm. just because you have, it sounds like you've just been so fast-paced for so long? Man, this is like a psychology session. Um, y- yes and no. I say no because like for the past, you know, couple of years I've, I've had every Friday off or most Fridays off. Um, and I would like, but maybe because I managed to fill my time wherever I'm like just surfing all day on Fridays or whatever, there's always something to do. Um, I think, I don't think I'll ever slow down because like, there's just so much fun stuff to do, right? Like if I had spare time, I'd train some more. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd actually spend time and, and go, go get myself a dog, which I haven't done because just too busy. I'd, you know, surf some more. I'd go diving a bit more. Like there's just no shortage of stuff to do. So maybe yes, yes and no. Um, like I'm not afraid of stopping the work stuff because I know there's so much more fun stuff I want to do to fill my time. Delicious. Awesome. Well, um, for the shameless self plug, if people want to find you and stalk you, where can they do so? Um, yeah, please do it online. Like physical, actual stalking is not cool. Not cool. Stalking not online, cool. you're good. They can find me on LinkedIn for the best place. Um, yeah, LinkedIn's where, where I'm at most of the time. My website's growthlabs with a Z.com. Drop me a contact. Cool. All righty. We're doing it. Will Wang, can I get a whoop whoop? For now, we'll leave you with that and have a great week. Cheers.